Welcome to Women on the Verge of a Financial Breakthrough, a podcast where we're going to figure out finance one dumb question at a time. I'm Caitlin Meredith, a mediator and coach based in the Bay Area, and... I'm Sarah Glakis. I'm an investor, advisor, and the founder of Blackburn Financial and the Austin Women's Investing Group, which can be found on Meetup. When I met Sarah, I think the pinnacle of my financial success at that point was a summer where I worked as a waitress and I put all of my tips in a shoebox for the whole summer. I didn't spend any of them till the end. And it was like $1,500 in ones rolled up in that shoebox. And I kind of thought it would never get better than that. <laughs> and then I took Sarah's Investing for Beginners class and I realized that the shoebox dream, I had to grow out of that and have a different idea about what building a financial future would be. So we made this podcast so you can get some out of the shoebox ideas too. Okay, Sarah, I have a question for you. And I love asking you about this because I love it when people have strong opinions about stuff I don't care about. It's just a relief that I don't have to fight all the battles. So here we go. Sarah, what do you think about high yield savings accounts? <laughs> oh my gosh, we've had this conversation so many times, haven't we, about high yield savings accounts. Okay, so I love the idea of the high yield savings account. If you have some cash sitting aside and you have nothing better to do with it, then you should try to put it in a high yield savings account. But I do think that by and large, there's an overemphasis on this idea of people building up their high yield savings account and spending so much bandwidth and so much time and effort to build up a cash savings account that in this interest rate environment probably only earns 0.5%, maybe 1%, maybe gets up to 1.5%. And that to me is frustrating. Yeah, I just have to say this is the most mild response she's ever had to me about a high interest <laughs> savings account. So she's really keeping it low key right now. Oh my gosh, I feel like you should do an impersonation of me in our previous conversations. The anger translator, like, who has time for these high yield savings? But first, I want to talk about what one is. So a high yield savings account is a savings account. So you put your cash in it. And it has usually a much smaller interest rate than any other way you could make money by putting it in. So it feels good because you're getting this free money. But by a smaller interest rate in other chapters of our financial existence has been like 2%. I mean, what do you think the highest interest rate you've ever seen for a high yield savings account has been? Yeah, recently, I think at the end of 2018, maybe high yield savings accounts got to something like 1.75 or 2%, but only for a few months, not for very okay. long. It was a heady period, those two months. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. So for people like me, it feels amazing. Like here's $2,000 that I've managed to save up and I can put it, it's like 
cheating the system. Instead of a regular savings account, you find a high yield one. You Google what are the interest rates right now for savings account. You find an online bank and you put your money in there. And then next year you have 17 extra dollars in that account. And it just feels (laughs) like this is how you get rich. Apparently, that is not Sarah's approach. And so I think it gets back to this idea for people or women in general that feel like what we can touch and have access to and that makes sense. A savings account is already really familiar to us and it feels safe. We can get the money if we need it with this added little perk that we make money from it, even though it's very low. So when you compare putting that $2,000 in a high yield savings account and making at the best of times, 1.7% interest, but now it's like 0.02% or something. So like really pennies that you would be earning. You have to look at it a little bit differently and then compare what would that $2,000 do in a different kind of account that could have a higher interest rate. So your frustration is that all of this time and energy that is spent on them would be better used thinking about which index fund to put that $2,000 in? Yeah, I mean, I think that the amount of hours that investors, that they put into finding the high yield savings account and then filling out all the paperwork to move their money from this bank to that bank, I mean, it starts adding up. And when I think about just that amount of time for that extra $17 or whatever that you mentioned, when you translate all of that work to the number of dollars that you make going from a regular savings account to a high yield savings account, unless you have a million dollars, the number of dollars that you make is very, very small. And you just spent a lot of time making that decision and doing all of that research. Whereas I think that if instead of spending all of that time and all of that bandwidth becoming an expert on high yield savings accounts, if you start pivoting a little bit to, is there a better long-term option for this money in the first place. Maybe it shouldn't be in savings. Maybe it should go into a Roth IRA that's invested in an index fund. Or maybe I can make an additional contribution to my 401k that I think that the time is better spent when you really zoom out and take a look at your financial plan in general over the long term. I think this gets back to this real nervousness that I have and probably especially because I'm freelance and so I don't have the regular paycheck is like how much cash on hand I need to have at any given time versus throwing everything in the market. And I'm curious, that is what it comes back to for me every time, other than like being afraid of what happens in the market and that just being a scary, intimidating world where I don't understand it. So putting my money there feels like a huge gamble, whereas a savings account feels secure and known and familiar. But also just like, how am I supposed to figure out how much I can afford to put in an investment account where I don't touch that money? for 20 years, 30 years, whatever, versus what I need to have my hands on. What question am I actually asking you right now? (laughs) I can't figure it out. Yeah, I think the question is, how many months of living expenses do you need set aside in a high yield savings account so that if there's an emergency, and for most people, the emergency is losing your job or losing your income. If there is an emergency and you lose your income, how long can you pay the bills? 
That's really the question, right? So it's based on what you know about your work situation. What's a worst case scenario from an income perspective? That's different for everybody, right? It's different if you're a W-2 worker, it's different if you work for the government, or if you're a teacher, or if you're a freelancer, or if you're an Uber driver. All of those people have different income expectations. So I think you have to think through the variability of your income. And if you have a highly variable income situation, you probably need more set aside in a high yield savings account. And if you work for the state or are a teacher and you're pretty sure you're not gonna get laid off, then you have pretty low variability in your expectations. And so you probably don't need as much set aside in a savings account. So is the rule of thumb like six months of savings? What's the gold standard of having cash you can access without penalty to maintain your lifestyle if the shit hits the fan? Yeah, I think that people usually tell me or ask me as to whether it's six months of salary. And I tend to think, I mean, I know save up six months of their salary. What happens if you get stuck on this particular goal? And the way that you view your financial picture, you think, okay, step one, save six months of salary in a high yield savings account. How long is it going to take you to do that? Yeah, and I won't be doing anything else. Right. So this is where like the fetish of the high yield savings account starts to grate on my nerves because (laughs) it's a fetish now. (laughs) It's a fetish. Maybe that wasn't the right word to use. But now I'm starting to get mad, right? Which you love. That if you have this somewhat arbitrary goal that you're working towards because of a rule of thumb and you get no help from this high yield savings account, there's no chance it's really going to earn you any helpful amount of money, no matter how long you're doing it. If you get stuck on that step one of I have to have X number of dollars in my high yield savings account and the months are going by and the years are going by and you're not putting any of that extra savings into something that does have a chance of compounding over long periods of time, you're not really getting ahead. You are, and I don't want to totally poo-poo the savings account. I love the savings account. It's vital during times of lost income. Well, especially the pandemic taught us all that we needed a cushion that we just couldn't have imagined before. Absolutely. Where I get frustrated is seeing people get stuck and not being able to get past that goal because that goal for a lot of people is so, so difficult to get to the six months of salary. I tend to think like, okay, go back to what is your budget? How much money do you need to pay the bills so your expenses are actually more important than your salary? Maybe you need to start with two to three months of living expenses in a high yield savings account. And then at that point, all of that extra saving that you're doing, maybe you can split it between the savings account on your way to six months of expenses, not salary. And then you can start putting some amount in a retirement account and giving it a chance to really grow over 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, but not just sticking to that one goal of the emergency fund until it's 100% achieved. 
Yeah, I think there's something so confusing to me about that part about sequencing. Like, what's sequencing, like step one, step two, step three, and what's like you need to do all of these steps at the exact same time and then calibrate what do you put in savings that there's going to be a bunch of buckets that your money needs to go in that isn't for your immediate savings. Like it could be college savings for your kid, which we'll talk about in a future episode. It's your retirement, it's emergency savings, and there's something intuitive about fill up this bucket and then you can work on the next bucket. And I think that's not the right approach, but it still feels scary, the idea of doing both at the same time. Like if my emergency savings aren't where they need to be, am I really in a position to put a few dollars in my retirement account or not? Yeah, I can see how that's scary. I think that with that piece, the investing piece, more people need to start before they're ready. We talked about compounding, right? And the power right. of compounding over time and that the most important element is time. So the more time you're not doing it, the less powerful the effect. But that is really scary because there's all sorts of reasons that you would want to make sure that you didn't leave yourself at risk by not having enough in the savings account because you wouldn't want to be that person that got laid off and you only have five months of living expenses in your emergency fund and you actually needed six. And that was the event that you know, sent your family right. into financial ruin, right. right? That's the worst case scenario that people go to. But they don't do the calculations for another really, really bad case scenario, which is that by the time you start investing, you don't have time to grow your money as large as you need it to be by the time you retire. So it seems like there will be rules of thumb and you say like, I'm working towards these two goals at the same time. One is to get my emergency savings up to three months of salary plus expenses. The other goal happening at the same time is to continue building or whatever your retirement accounts or your investment accounts. And so then it's easier to think in big numbers. So if I have $100 extra a month in the beginning, it makes sense to put the 70 in the high yield savings account to build up that reserve for the like now, now, now emergency. And that I put the 30 in the investment account for the later, <laughs> the later <Yeah>. emergencies. <laughs> and that over time it can go to 50-50 and then start down the other that you could kind of chart it in that way. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Do you remember when we did that episode on compounding? Yeah, and we actually ran the, the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary, right? Nobody likes doing those calculations, except me, right? <laughs> so you can come up with the answer to these questions if you think of three basic goals for your money. One, be safe for the short term. Two, grow enough for the middle term, which for a lot of people is college for their kids, or get ready for retirement you can do those time value of money calculations to see which goal is farthest away. By that, I mean, which goal do you need to focus on to get it back on track and then prioritize that for all of the savings that you have now. You can find out like, oh, I'm okay on my high yield savings account, but I am really behind on my retirement savings. Now I need to take my monthly savings and put more of it towards 
the retirement account because I'm behind the eight ball on that goal. Or I'm behind, I haven't even started the 529 yet and I really want to. I need to stop saving so much in the savings account and start putting it somewhere else or vice versa. Like I'm actually right on track for the retirement account, but I'm feeling in the short term, I'm a little exposed. I'm feeling a little nervous about the short term. What if for a month or two, you can turn off your retirement savings and put all of that money in your precious high yield savings account (laughs) and find that short term peace of mind. It's really hard to make these decisions based on rules of thumb, you have to do the calculations to know where you are, which goal are you on track for, and which goals are you ahead of the game, and which ones are you behind the game. And I think that's where most people kind of, they don't know how to run the numbers, they don't know who to ask, they don't have someone to run the numbers for them. So it really feels like you're flying blind when you're trying to allocate, you know, like I have $100 left at the end of the month, where does it go? Like yeah. You can find the answer to it by doing those time value of money calculations. Yeah. And when you think about like full austerity, you can think about that for immediate needs. Like, oh, my God, I lost my job. No more Starbucks. Cut the cable. Cut the credit cards. Like we have a very strong cultural societal script for when the shit hits the fan in real time now. No excess rice and beans for dinner. We know what that looks like. But doing the same steps for some future goal feels very threatening to me <laughs> to like the degree to which I need to really make some big sacrifices in my daily life right now for this imaginary financial future 30 years down the line is super confusing like it should feel as real to me because it's me. Hi, it's me again. In 30 years, I'll still want my high-end hot cocoa or whatever it is. But uh, the degree to which you cut to make those retirement goals, I think is just less clear. There's less of a script for that for most of us. What do you think? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, I'm pretty sure that studies have been done on that exact phenomenon, that we would rather have something in the present than prepare for something that we're going to need in the future. We're just not, our brains aren't good at it. That's a very old story. Yeah. But for me, the numbers tell the story and hopefully not in a super scary way, but the numbers can tell the story just to help you make more optimized decisions in the day to day. And some of those decisions can be automated. If you run the calculations and it turns out you're a little bit behind on your retirement savings, if you can log into your work 401k and up your contributions by $200 a month to get yourself back on track, those are relatively simple steps to take. That once you have the information, a lot of people can make the adjustments and I think feel really good about making the adjustments in order to get some piece of their financial picture back on track. And then it doesn't have to feel like so much sacrifice or it's sacrifice for not totally known but a known outcome like okay we definitely want to make sure that we're financially secure 30 years from now so we're able to make the sacrifice now in order to get that because it is actually really important to us and we're willing to do it so on the one hand we're supposed to put this money into an investment account 
and feel really good about ourselves for taking care of ourselves 30 years down the road, 20 years down the road, wherever you are, 50 years down the road, young people. But on the other, we're not supposed to look at those numbers. What's so nice about a savings account is that number stays the same. So you put $5,000 in your savings account and it's like strong at that 5,000, you know, 5,017, 5,018 every year totally. goes up a little bit. But that's a strong number. You have like, I did this and it turned out to be that. Well, what we're trying to get people to take is this leap of faith to say, I'm going to cut out hundreds of dollars of my monthly budget, money that I could be spending on shoes and lattes and put it in a retirement account, the total balance of which I have to ignore for 30 years. <laughs> you know, right. It's not very satisfying because, I mean, obviously when there's upturns, it feels amazing, but over 30 years, there's going to be a lot of downturns too. And so the leap of faith on top of the leap of faith to just be in the stock market, is it too much for our little human brains to take on? those of us in the middle here that aren't completely on the margin, but also are nowhere near the 1% or whatever. That's a lot for us to abstractly take in and value. Yeah. But that's what the podcast is for, right? I mean, what can we do to make it less scary or what less abstract. What can we do to the co-host that it's really <laughs> worth investing? No. It has to be done. There are so many people who haven't taken any of the steps to make sure they're going to be financially secure in the future. And that's what this whole exercise is for, is like, can all of those people who've been too scared to take the next step or haven't known how to take the next step, how can you convince people that this is important? Is it important? Maybe I'm making like no, my it, own assumption, like, is it important? No, it's super important. And yeah, when we think about wherever you are in your generation and if your parents, their financial situation, what your kids are going to be in, like these have huge consequences for all of us. If our parents haven't been able to save for retirement for whatever reason, those are consequences that will be felt in our lives. And if we don't, it'll be felt in our lives and also in our children's lives if we have children. So it's super important. I I'm sorry, I'm not introducing the topic. Like, should we really care about this or not? But <laughs> I'm just, I can't believe. Here, we've been friends for years. I've taken your class. I believe all what you're saying. And yet, I'm still having these internal battles. And so it's just revealing to me the extent of the resistance. And it's partly the fear. It's partly lack of imagination. That's sort of like the here and now always will get the priority. And just keeping motivated of what you're building without being able to see it. You build a house, you see the house. Each timber that gets added, you can see it. And this is building something that just has to be your faith that you're doing the right thing, understanding the system, and that you will get the rewards from that. Yeah, because you're right that there is a cost to it. You're giving something up today to have hopefully something more in the future. And that is a real cost that it's easy for someone like me to just gloss over. Like, well, if you need to save money, just save the money. You just figure out what to not spend it on and then you save it and you invest it and then it magically turns into you know, this much in 30 years and we can yeah. do the calculation. So I think you're right. If you're not as confident or if you're being asked to do this on faith, 
I mean, like anything else you're asked to do on faith, most people are going to have a really hard time doing that. That's really challenging for almost anyone to do something on faith, especially something that's new or that they don't have a background with or where they've seen other people also do something on faith and not have it work out. And those are things that just really stick with you. Well, it's what I appreciate so much about your explanation for compounding interest. I mean, for me, going back to that concept and, you know, for me, for anybody that knows anything about this stuff, and I hope I do, at least after doing that episode, is like, oh, right. When you think of keep your eye on the ball, that's the ball you got to keep your eye on, the time value of money. And that what's happening now, that sort of exponential reward the cycle that I need to be participating in to benefit from, that's where the ball is for me. And yet it's something that I have to actively remind myself of. I don't feel it in my bones. It is a very intellectual process. And I wonder if you feel it in your bones. The compounding? Yeah. Yeah, I do. But people often ask like how I can do what I do because so much of it is stock market focused. For myself personally, in my own personal financial plan, I don't think about or register stock market volatility in the short term because I'm really clear as to where I'm going and I don't need to know how I'm going to get there. I don't need to know the exact route, but I do have faith that somehow we'll get from point A to point B. Well, I want to understand this. You were talking about you don't know the route that it'll take, the path that it'll take, but the system you've set up for yourself personally for saving for retirement, you have faith in that what you build, there will be a building there at the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you will get to live in comfortably or within your means, whatever. But when you said you weren't sure the path, I thought it meant like which stocks you would invest in and change your mind about the fund there or there. But really what you meant was how that line on the graph for the markets ups and downs could show up a million different ways. But what your confidence is, is that the overall picture is that over that period of time, it'll get you where you need to go. Yes. I mean, people say they're in it for the long run, and also they want to know which direction the market's going to go next year. Well, yeah, I mean, we want to be out of stocks when the market goes down, but we want to be in when it goes up. So can we just do that? Can that be our strategy? <laughs> I mean, can we do an episode on that, on how to do that? That would be amazing. That's how it works. That right, is, that happens. by definition, the system. All the time. That happens all the time. And there's just, I think, out there... I don't know, just some sort of idea that someone knows the answer. Someone knows enough where, like Bernie Madoff, you just get your 12% per year without any downside. And that's what I want, is the 12% yeah. per year yeah. without any downside. And it's like, yeah, that's what everybody wants, but it doesn't exist. And that part, I think, is really, really difficult for people to is. come to grips with. But Sarah, when you first described that to me, like after taking your class, it was actually the most liberated I have felt about the whole investment advisor industry of which you are part and I don't put you in this clump, but it was so freeing. Like those idiots don't know anything more than <laughs> I could. Like it's literally impossible for them to predict the market moves. So like, wow, like the emperor has no clothes. 
Yeah. And so I'm as good of a judge in that no one could be a judge at all. And so like, fuck it, go in. There's no waiting for the right reading or the right podcast or the right anything. It's like you participate and you put your money in and you do the smart thing about where in index funds versus individual stocks. And you're on the ride, you're next to the Wall Street stock analyst on the roller coaster. Like you guys yep. actually have the same seats. He doesn't yeah. have any, he's not like in a forward carriage where he's going to tell you like, oh, there's a drop coming. You're sitting in the front together. Yeah. And that actually opened the whole world up to me. It's funny. Like the idea that nobody could be a real expert except you. You're the exception. <laughs> Just kidding. She doesn't market herself that way. But it's like, oh, Really, any of us can do this. We just have to have the money in the market and not like, there's so much arrogance that comes along with people that are advising and who say they do have insider secrets. And essentially they're paid to just be confident, but not be true. Right, right. Yeah. No, I feel like there is value either developing this skill or looping in a professional to have someone to talk to about why whatever is happening in the market isn't as bad as you think it is. Because like a lot of people, I think, attribute risk to different events. So you guys, I think Sarah was just describing the text stream I sent to her during the pandemic. <laughs> I see it, a headline be like, oh my God, but this is the real one, right? Like this yeah. jump ship, right? It's now like this one. And she, so I think she was just in a very diplomatic way talking about one of her crazy friends texting her every time she read a headline and was like, imminent economic collapse please advise yeah and talking me and probably every single other person she knows down to like no you guys this is what i've been talking about the whole thing like actually nothing has changed which is just unbelievable and you have a very hard job and i'm so glad you're the person i get to talk to about this stuff oh i love getting your text messages too i love hearing what the people are thinking about and what they're worrying about i never get text messages about like people being really excited about something in the stock market so people do not copy me on those text messages you're not our good news girl you're i'm our... not i know i wish i was but so if you have anything good to send me like like oh okay. this, this technology is really promising i think that everything's gonna be fine Send me those text She wants insider tips. That's what this Uh, is all about. She's going to read the market. Okay. (laughs) And upcoming episodes. There's so much to unpack from this one. Definitely college savings accounts. Sarah has some very interesting ideas on that realm. And I'll think of a bunch of others. So thank you so much, Sarah. Oh, thank you, Caitlin. So, Sarah, what's one thing a woman on the verge of a financial breakthrough can do today to start pushing forward her financial future? I can't believe I'm about to say this, but since in this episode we talked about the emergency fund, I'm just going to talk about the emergency fund for a second. So I think in a previous episode, we talked about figuring out what your actual budget is, right? Again, like something I really personally dislike is putting together a budget, sticking to a budget, knowing what the budget is, but it is very important. So since you've already done that, you can take that monthly budget number 
and then multiply it by, let's say, three months if you're in a relatively stable industry, six months if you're in a mostly stable industry, or nine months if you are in a very volatile oh, industry. Oh, God. All right. Listening neutrally. So it's your budget times either three or six or nine. That now can become your target for your emergency savings, which you can put in your high yield savings account. Yes. But I would also say that once you have that number and you're working towards it, once you get to, let's call it like 50 or 75% funded, take down the amount that you're putting into the emergency fund and start diverting it into bulking up either a 529 plan or something earmarked for college or something earmarked for retirement so that you don't get stuck trying to get to 100% funded savings account that while you are doing that at some point you start parallel pathing those two goals and using money not only to take care of your short-term self which is very important but you also start making time and making room in the budget to fund for your long-term retirement needs that is such a useful way to think about it and i feel like we can't overemphasize enough the value of even $25 a month in a retirement or an investment account, like to not just wait to start till you can do something, contribute something that feels super significant, like in the hundreds or something that starting as small as you can, even if you're still building up your emergency savings for that first three months or whatever, that you can still just even $25 it feels important both symbolically and financially to be doing those at the same time. That's right. And I cannot believe you just advise people to have a high yield savings account. This is just like, you got layers, Sarah, you got layers. I know. Well, I know that it's good for all of us to have it. It's just a really boring part of the financial plan. I like to skip the boring parts and go straight to the exciting parts. Yeah. But it is important to have that safety net that you build for yourself. So I'm not officially poo-pooing it. I'm just saying don't overemphasize the safety net because your long-term investing plan is super important too. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Hey, do you have any dumb questions about finance or investing? Send them to us at our website, womenontheverge.com. Hey, so many thank yous to Kelly West, a woman on the verge in her own right, who took the amazing photos for our album art and website, helped with our website design, music, audio editing, cheerleading, mental health, everything. Emily Kleinsorgi, our stylist that did our hair and makeup for our photos from Lucy Skyrocket. Lauren Gross and Taylor Gross, who helped us with our graphic design. And... Our music is by Bad Bad Hats in Devmo. If your partner is making you ask for money, giving you an allowance, taking your money, or not letting you know about or have access to family income, this could be economic abuse. Learn more at thehotline.org or call 1-800-799-SAFE. So Sarah, because you're a financial professional, We have to read a disclaimer for this podcast. I would actually really love it if you could read the disclaimer (laughs) in your best legal voice. Okay, doing it. 
This podcast contains general information that is not suitable for everyone. The information contained herein should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security. I know the first thing you notice is that I'm covered in gold. The trip of the wrist, it can turn a hot bitch cold. To get what you want in life, girl, you gotta be bold. Now I'm a direct, and I know.